0: Okay, welcome back to another episode of Transparency. We are joined today by Limpida. Uh, We connected with her via Twitter. uh, she's got a really interesting experience of uh, transition and um, kind of a personal experience with uh, autogynephilia, and uh, uh, has yeah graciously agreed to come on and talk about uh, her experience with that, uh, with the community, uh, with kind of um, you know uh, life experiences that kind of uh, led her to transition and and uh, as well to as well as to the understanding of um, autogynephilia, where you know how that impacts her and uh, kind of the wider. Uh, transgender, uh, situation we are all in here. Uh, so thank you very much for joining us today.
1: No, thank you for having me.
0: So where do you want to get started? Do you want to, um, kind of tell about kind of your, your early, um, uh, your early experiences, um, that you kind of, kind of feel like may have, uh, uh, resulted in, in, um, I think what you've referred to as kind of like an ego splintering, uh, that is, that is, um, uh, kind of like a female self uh, that, that, that you kind of, um, uh, uh, which I was a really profound way to put it, kind of like have more compassion for this kind of uh, this alter ego or this, this, this splintered ego uh, that was female uh, over your actual um, uh, male self. Um, do you want to talk about that at all?
1: Yeah. Um, so growing up, um so I have, I have, I should, I should also say, because it's very uh, important to the whole narrative. I guess is, uh, I have autism, and I'm, I'm very uh, sensitive to like my environmental state. I mean, socially as well. And um, things were kind of difficult growing up. I was not in an environment that was like capable of handling um, the issues i was having with autism and my sort of weird staggered development um i was a really like bright kid but um i was not like socially developed really and and i was also like very uncoordinated and and very like sensitive to things so like i was i was bullied a lot as a kid and my parents didn't really know how to handle it and it kind of just kept happening until like high school-ish but by the time I was in high school like I was like not doing so well Um, and as a kid like one of the things that I would do that was sort of self-soothing was like I would I would sort of like inhabit like a female sort of persona in my head like I I would only allow myself to do certain things if, if I was like if in my head, I was a girl and my parents didn't really know about this. And my grandparents didn't really know about this, I grew up with my grandparents as well, but um, they didn't really know about this. This was really just in my head. And even even as a kid, like I thought that I was gonna grow up to look like my mom and my grandma. I thought that once I like hit puberty, I would I would start to look more like a woman than, than I would like my father or my grandfather. Um, and I didn't really have an explanation for this. Um, and so like I get to high school things are hard um puberty is hitting me and I'm like distressed because I don't know how to handle the changes um but also like I am very depressed and 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 traumatized and I have like serious like issues with like OCD I have issues like relating to the people around me um I'm sort of addicted to the internet at like a pretty early age, like starting at like 11 or so. Um, And I like, at a certain point, like years pass my symptoms deteriorate and people around me are just sort of trying to ignore the fact that it's happening, except for a few people who are just enabling every bad decision that I make. Um, And um, by the time I was, in college, in my like late teens, early twenties, at that point, I had no like, like I, I basically like I had come to the point where I hated all men, and all men included me for a time. Until I was like, well, if I hate all men, then I don't want to be a man, and um, I sort of like stopped taking care of myself at all. Um, I wasn't able to handle the transition from high school to college whatsoever. I immediately fell apart. I fell into alcohol, like not full on alcoholism, but like I was abusing alcohol. I was abusing um, marijuana. Uh, I had a lot of friends who were like Xanax addicts and stuff. I'm lucky I didn't fall into any of that, but um, it was uh, a bad time. Um, And I could like, the only thing that would get me up out of that funk kind of was if i started to inhabit that like soothing um headspace again um and it it was like there was a sexual element to it um because uh a lot of my early sexual experiences weren't all that great and um i was in a fairly toxic relationship it was fairly mutually toxic um with with a woman who it seems also like had sort of a thing for trans women um and herself like at one point wanted to transition as well and um so it was um it was hard for me to Feel any compassion for myself because it felt sort of like there wasn't any for me as as a man, um, and basically as soon as I started to tell people in my life that I didn't feel like I was a man, that I was like, at first I said I was gender fluid, and then I said I was non-binary, and then finally settled on like, okay, I'm a trans woman. Like, friends were more accommodating of that at first, you know, um, but also like the only like, like my parents were very not okay with any of this. At first, they were concerned, but they were also, there were other issues involved, too. Um, it was hard to find care at all um, to deal with any of these issues. Um, and I kind of just suffered <laughs> with them. But the sexual aspect was, was um, more tied up in, in just that relationship, honestly. Um, it was like that, like being with, with this person was like one of the only like bright spots in my life. Um, and so it had to be like, okay, well, if, if, if this person believes I'm a woman and I, and I believe that I'm trans, then clearly like something else is wrong in every other aspect of my life. And, uh, so late teens, early twenties, that, that was, that was kind of when like my feminine persona had kind of just like subsumed everything else. And, and I started to really like destroy myself up until I was like, okay, well, if you transition, then you don't have to destroy yourself. And so I, I did that. <laughs> um, I, I ended up transitioning and, and it felt good at first, like the changes coming in and everything. Um, like it 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 felt like it was really happening and like I finally like stopped having like really obsessive, like suicidal thoughts and, and stuff like that. But then like about a year into it, it just started to feel like something was wrong. Like the narrative that I had like come to believe was like not quite true. And even before then, I kind of felt like there was something wrong about like trans women or women. Um, like there, there, it felt like there was something missing from that, um, but I still I didn't really question it very much because I couldn't a- at the time I couldn't really afford to like cognitively, <laughs> so yeah that I hope that answers the question. Yeah,
2: yeah. When when you were um, like much younger, like as a five year old or an eight year old, um, how did you relate to your to your biological sex at that time?
1: Um, I was. So I, one of my earliest memories, actually, like I was like four years old and in preschool and there was a girl that had like a Dora the Explorer backpack. Um, and I said that I wanted to have the Dora the Explorer backpack because I really liked Dora the Explorer. And the guy at the store refused to sell it to my parents because he said that's for girls. Um, and that stuck with me. I was very rigid about being a boy. Like I made that like my identity, like my whole identity for like publicly at least. Like I, like literally <laughs> there were several years where my favorite color was blue and my only rationale for it was that boys liked blue. So I had to like blue. Um, it was a very, like I, I'm a very literal um, thinker and, and, and very like rigid. Um, so I was like, pretty rigid about, like, identifying as a boy and whatever, except in these self-soothing instances, um, and, like, there were, like, flashes of, like, I would rather be, a like, my, my thinking was, like, I would be a boy as a child and then grow up to be a woman, like, that was sort of the belief that I had as a young kid, and over time, like, I came to knew that that wasn't how things work that like you're born a man and you say a man, but there was just still something in the back of my head. That was like, but I'm going to be a woman, right? Like, I'm like, that's how, that's how that's going to happen. It was very like, not, I I had no reason for believing that, but that's how I, that's what I believed.
2: In your, in your romantic life, have you always dated uh, natal females?
1: Uh, so far, yes. Um, it's only recently that I've started um, trying to, to date males.
2: So that's been a, a, like a recent development. Do you think that's as a result of transition or, or do you think that that might've unfolded regardless?
1: Um, well, there was, there was some, there was some by curiosity. I can't say that I was like, I didn't know how to like, understand it though I understand it now as as um meta attraction um which is which is like a more descriptive way of explaining pseudo bisexuality as Blanchard puts it um which is basically like I'm attracted to men on the basis that they find me attractive as a woman um but and, and there was like an inkling of that while I was growing up too like I wanted to like like I always tried to do stuff to impress the boys but do stuff that was only impressive if I was a girl but I didn't understand that that's what I was doing um but like in terms of like what my base sexual orientation is like I'm I'm I've always been more interested in girls um, but the but the trying to be with a man thing is is more because I transitioned. I think is because it, like, the trans the transition happened kind of fast, and it like I already had like I always I-, I was already kind of androgynous to begin with. So like now I look relatively female, um, and um, when guys started to like, you know comment and like be all you know the way that guys are like then that's when it clicked in my head like oh okay so like I do I do like men
2: and you were I know you said about you were how old when he started to medically transition
1: I was 21 so it was about two years ago
2: so you wouldn't have at 21 you wouldn't have been started on hormone blockers you just went straight to to hormone treatment Mm
1: mm-hmm Well, I went to, I did do, uh, I am on testosterone blockers, but I wasn't on puberty blockers.
2: Great. When you, you mentioned Blanchard, um, you know, these days, I mean, over the last um, couple of decades, at least, um, you know, Blanchard's name in the trans community and amongst trans activists is, um, you know, it's, it's kind of a dirty word in the community uh, and I'm just curious you know how you um discovered his work and if you found it it helpful or what was your initial response to to reading his typology and his description of AGP
1: so I have um have said at various points that I didn't really come into contact with it very much when I was um before I had transition, and for the most part that's true I think maybe I saw like a ContraPoints video about it or like some like debunking of it on Tumblr or something but it wasn't something that I really like took a lot of interest in or paid a lot of attention to because I just figured that it was some you know transphobic garbage or whatever um so I never really entertained it at all um so it like it wasn't really a thing when I was just like identifying as trans rather than actually having transitioned um but i came into contact with it on a more in a more serious way um about a year after i had transitioned because i realized that one my dysphoria wasn't gone it was lessened it was definitely lessened but it wasn't gone and it was actually like moving into different parts of my body that hormones could not change um so I was like starting to get very dysphoric about like the size of my ribs or like the shape of my hands and um but but it was like as intense as the fact that I didn't have breasts was like before I had transitioned so I was like okay well then there's something missing here and then I also started to question like um like okay okay so I'm, I've transitioned um and I like I, you know I, I don't know there, there was just a lot I don't know how to like explain the feelings that I was going through at the time but I was just like I don't like being trans but I don't I, I can't explain what the problem is so I started to do a lot of research um that was like super critical of trans stuff and some of it was just very blatantly like quite vile. Uh, and then, and then I came across Blanchard's theory and I read basically everything there was to know about it. I read stuff from him. I read stuff from um, Michael J. Bailey. I read stuff from Ann Lawrence. I read stuff from Alice Drager. And I think um, men trapped in men's bodies was the, was, was the, was the point where I, I realized, okay, I am, I am auto gynephilic. And I at first I really didn't want to believe it just because like like there are aspects of my life and my situation that did not match up with the typology that he had established in 1989. Like I was younger, and I was a little bit more feminine as a child, and I was, um, you know, things were. And at that point too, I was also like. I was also like beginning to be androphilic. So I was like, okay, well, what is, you know, that this doesn't really make sense. I don't really, I-, I seem to straddle the typology or whatever, but then like reading Anne Lawrence's work um, put that into perspective for me. And I have to say that like, that broke me out of the trans ideology headspace completely, but it also caused me to have like a severe mental breakdown that lasted like two or three months. This was back in May of this year, actually. Um, I was like, I was horribly depressed after this happened because it meant that everything that I had come to know about myself over the preceding like six or seven years was totally wrong. Um, And not only was it totally wrong, but like one of the things that was causing me to have suicidal thoughts was the fact that I looked like a man or rather the fact that I was a man. Um, and so now that for sure I am definitely a man and that I really just have this weird fetish that broke me, um, pretty badly. And, and it, and it left me like almost immediately I wanted to detransition after I, I started reading that. And especially after I started reading a lot of like radical feminist literature about this and like, um, Graham Linehan and, and who's the other guy, Um, Rob Dreyer, I think is his name. Like I would read these like really horrible accounts of AGP and I mean, part of this was also like, you know, reasonable things that needed to be collected about men with AGP, like a lot of the crimes that they commit and a lot of the abuses that, that go on and the kind of delusions that some of them experience. But I was also like, that was also like kind of the only literature about it almost like there wasn't very much that was positive about it and even the spaces that were positive about it were kind of like yeah this is a progressive condition um you sort of always end up delusional like you know there were a lot of there aren't a lot of good spaces with good literature about it some of them encourage transition because they think it will like at least alleviate the dysphoria which is kind of the the take that Blanchard has but there are others that are just like you need to suppress it completely then there are others that are just like this is a moral flaw like you're a complete deviant and you know xyz and i i was just trying to like understand and and try to figure out like what i should do because i knew that the hormones were bad for me like physically i knew that they were quite destructive but i like even now i struggle with the thought of like coming off of them or like trying to change my lifestyle around and I I think that we can get into that um a little bit later in in the interview but like for now like the whole like my whole discovery that like this was autogynephilia like was very uh uh, destabilizing um very destabilizing very very difficult to trudge through and I was kind of on my own, and I feel like I'm still kind of a little bit on my own.
2: I did have and a, a, pers- sim- a, a similar, sorry, Aaron, I did have a similar experience. Um, it, it just, inter- and I think a lot of us do, you know, when that trans ideology shatters, it it it, it can be a very disorienting feeling, right? Because it feels like the whole ground comes out from under you, and and so I, I can relate to that. How how difficult that that is. Um, and I I do have a a fear because I do think this narrative needs to be corrected um, because I don't think we can continue to just lie to people about and I don't think that's helpful I don't think that's sustainable um, but I do have this fear that how many people are going to crash you know as we start to open up the conversation and talk about different kinds of dysphoria and the, you know, the truth of our experiences, I, I do worry about, you know, um, I hope people are good, are well supported through that realization. Um, but once, once you kind of had that experience and got through that experience of that ground kind of falling out from under you, are you happy in hindsight that you now have the information about AGP? Do you think overall it's helpful for you, even though you had that initial kind of crash
1: oh absolutely absolutely because otherwise I wouldn't have had an answer for what was wrong with me um and I would have still just been like like because like the like uh, the first year I was really happy because I was like okay I'm finally gonna like grow up to be the woman that I that I thought I was gonna be and then I realized like slowly over time like being like in female spaces and, and like being treated as a female and, and, you know, all these other things, like I, I realized like, okay, this is not what I thought it was. I'm still the same person on the inside. Mm-hmm. Um, even though hormones sort of changed my personality a little bit, like it not, you know, it's not like I'm a totally different person, but it's also, um, like I also realized like I don't have Quite as much in common with women as I thought I did. Um, and I didn't, I couldn't square sort of all the circles that were popping up around me with, like, okay, well, you really are a woman. Because, uh, you know, the, and then there was also the case that, like, one of the things I was really uh, distraught about for a long time, and, and I'm still sort of. Sore about is the fact that I cannot have um, children the way that a woman could. Like that was a very deep spiritual sort of wound, and it, it, and it, that's not related directly to like any sort of fetish I have. It's not like I have a birthing fetish or whatever. It's just that like because I thought I would grow up to be a woman, this aspect of a woman's life is not something I can ever have or ever do and even if it were surgically available I don't think I would ever have any interest in that um so it's like you know I I am grateful that I now know that this is just really just a fantasy and I don't know what causes it I don't know why it happened but it happened and having that answer knowing now I feel like I can better arrange my life from here on out, because I still have like a lot of it left to live.
0: It's great. One thing that's kind of difficult to that I, I imagine would be difficult. So I, I had a similar experience that that you've exp- explained and, and Aaron did as well a bit. Is like when when the ground falls out from underneath you when you kind of wake up to the ideology of it all. Um, but I feel like it'd be it's easier. It would have been easier for for in, in Aaron and I's experience because you know we weren't then inundated with all of this all of this um, anti. Uh, the the anti AGP rhetoric had to be just absolutely crushing, you know, on top of having to have this realization that your, your kind of self conception was false and that you'd kind of been living this, this lie. And then it's like, oh, well, what I really am is, is apparently just, just reviled um, by, you know, the, by the, the, the I, I want to see the opposition. Um, but like in say gender critical spaces, I mean, d- did you, did you encounter much of that? Or like when you, when you were reading that kind of the, 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 people who seem to be aware of AGP and talking about AGP are very, uh, you know, uh, I'm sure you know like quite, quite hostile and critical, uh, about it. What was, what was that experience like?
1: That was, um, that was actually, um, very crushing and I'm still, I still sort of have a difficult time, um processing that emotionally just because like every um, instance of it that I would see on Twitter and I did do like quite a lot of my research on Twitter just because I knew like Blanchard was there and like a couple of other figures were Um, like almost every instance was like attached to some like horrible act of abuse or like just like totally deranged like trans person that like even when I was like myself like a trans activist I was like I would distance myself from them mm. like to know that I shared that in common with them like not only did I share that in common with them at some points I was like believing that I had done like certain horrible things especially the connection to pedophiles like that was something that kept coming up over and over is that like autogynophiles or basically pedophiles like um like at a certain point I was like, am I, you know, and that, and because I have OCD, like that thought would just keep coming back, like intrusively, like who have I done all these awful things? Have I like coerced lesbians to have sex with me? Have I like, et cetera, et cetera. And like, I would, I had to like, like not only did I have to fight the thoughts about like destroying myself because I'm actually male, I would now also have to fight thoughts of, like abuse I never actually committed, or like, um, you know, uh, or like comparing myself to actual like violent criminals, um, and and there were other things too, like oh, agps are narcissists, agps are, you know, um, et cetera, et cetera, like uh, like especially what gets me all the time are like the radfems that are like, um, claim to know what agp is and not understand that it's like a pretty like broad descriptor for like a wide range of different behaviors like they like claim that it's all about like coercively um getting people to validate you as a woman even though like for some people sure but i mean not for me but in that moment where i was like looking for answers like you know I was sort of trying to absorb as much information as I could. And a lot of that information, if not most of it, was sort of just, like, um, hateful. And some of it I understand. Like, even most of it I understand. Like, I understand why there is that revulsion towards it. Because a lot of the people that are delusional about their AGP, that are trans, they do end up doing... Really horrible things, and and that was made clear to me just from all the, you know, all those sites that I visited. Um, but there also was
2: which sorry. is the heart, which is the harm of the ideology, you know, largely not not just the AGP, right? I mean, when we have this trans ideology that just says, well, you just you just are a woman, and you know, and and, and it hides our actual individual experiences. Um, it sort of does create a kind of delusional state, right? It, it's sort of like a like a group delusion imposed by the ideology, um, and I think that's exactly what's so hard when that when that bubble bursts for individuals like us. Why that's so hard? It is almost like snapping out of of a delusional state. Um, but I could really appreciate that, you know, for you that extra layer of because on one on one extreme we've got the TRAs who are saying trans is just trans and everything beautiful and colorful rainbows. And then on the other side, we've got, you know, the Radfams and the gender criticals are the, tend to be the ones right now bringing up the science and Blanchard and, and the typology, but not always in a very positive or generous light. Right. So, so I mean, our hope is to bring the conversation back to the middle, you know, with, with compassion and nuance um, to really understand these conditions in their, in their breadth and, and depth. And that's one of the things I really loved about your article, which we'll, we'll link in the notes. It's not just about the sexual target location error. It's, it's a lot of things, right. It's, it's romantic love. It's, um, it, you know, it's multidimensional. And, and I, th- you know, that's one of the things that, that you really articulated well, I think in that article
0: one thing that i actually highlighted that i want to want to read and obviously yeah the, the whole thing will be linked um, but what you were saying or we'll be kind of talking about with the, the kind of like you break out of it and then you land in you know You know, from what was it, you know, from the the frying pan into the fire sort of situation. Um, But you wrote, um, I'm just going to quote here, framing the discussion around AGP as being solely the purview of unadulterated perverts, craven narcissists or rampant sexual abusers does a lot to demonize the growing ranks of men and boys who haven't actually done anything wrong, but have found themselves on the other end of a sex change without really understanding why this will alienate them from polite society and lead them to seek comfort from circles that seek to abuse them. Just yeah, one of the things that I thought was incredibly powerful and important is like, where where do we draw that line? Like, you know, you you want to want to on one hand, and I think you 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 you, uh, as well in the article say you don't have a solution to this, you don't know the answer, but uh, just drawing the the point there that that how do we on one hand talk about what's really going on, uh, uh, you know, underneath the trans umbrella, um, you know how do we how do we talk about that honestly without also um yeah Joe's going landing in a camp of, of of demonization that then sends people you know back back into the arms of either that ideology or or just really uh you know dangerous uh dangerous online environments uh, which is obviously where most of this is seems to be spawning
1: yeah um and, and one of the reasons i don't have an answer is because like there is this belief among certain gender criticals that just naming it as autogynephilia is going to keep People from transitioning, but the fact of the matter is, just knowing you have aromatophilia is not necessarily going to keep you from wanting to transition. And I have, like, I've been in a number of um, AGP online circles where uh, they they do something called pink pilling, which is where they push transition on people, and it's not like necessarily part of trans ideology, although part of it sort of gets like massaged in there. Um, but it's more so like they're aware that they have this fetish, but that's not stopping them from trying to destroy other people's lives. You know, like it's not like they they push transition as the solution for their AGP. Like it remains a solution for life's problems, um, even just knowing that you have it in the first place.
0: And you don't, you don't mean that in that, like we, we spoke to, uh, uh, to James Shoup about, about this as well. And he was basically, uh, treating his guy with transition in that the, the, um, the testosterone blockers and the estrogen basically diminished that par- paraphilic, uh, impulse. And so it was sort of a solution in that capacity, but you're not, you're not talking in that lens.
1: No, um, So the way that I'm, so, uh, like, it turns out that like, um, I'm of the belief and I know that there's like mixed literature on this. I'm of the belief that like blocking testosterone doesn't actually stop pedophilic, not pedophilic, paraphilic impulses. Um, I, I think it, what it really does is just reduces your sex drive overall. Mm-hmm. Um. Okay. So, so what you're attracted to, you're still attracted to, even if it is a paraphilia. But right. it takes a lot more effort to make that anything, you know. And and I think, um, in the case of of Mr. Shoup, um, who I I admire, I honestly do admire for for you know everything that he said and everything he's been through. Too, it's really harrowing stuff. Um, but like he has also said like he is a sex addict and there are a lot of very notable autogynophiles who have admitted to being sex addicts as well and while I think that for many autogynophiles especially the ones that are sort of sequestered in their dorm rooms and everything like porn addiction is a serious thing but it doesn't seem that most of them are actually sex addicts it seems that this is just like uh, like an embedded part of their sexuality, and they don't know how to like deal with it. you know, and it doesn't really matter how they refrain from indulging it. like it's still there, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and the way that the these AGP circles tend to talk about transition, fixing that, like part of it is about indulging the fantasy in the first place. So they sexualize the transition because a lot of them have, like, forced feminization fetishes a lot of them watch a lot of sissy hypnoporn which was just wild when I found out what that was um like so they have they like they a lot of it is just kind of like they think that they can fix their lives by transitioning like they are kind of sort of in the same position that I was in when I came into contact with trans ideology I thought that like if I could just like be a woman then things would be so much better um and i would finally like not have to deal with this like constant desire um like they they're saying the same things except they're using agp as the excuse to transition so even though they're right that like that's where it's coming from it's not stopping them from doing it and then there are others that are like well transition fixes it because then you don't have to deal with the constant like then it's kind of just a low level kind of you know, a really low level of libido. You don't have to think about it that much, but you do have to like blend in as a woman. Um, and that's the hard part. And that's why some of them end up transi- like detransitioning is because they can't keep up the appearance. Um, even though they actually like the blocking of testosterone, but then there are others that detransition because they don't like the blocking of testosterone and they like the fantasy more than the reality. So it's kind of a mix, but all the same, there are, they're still like pushing it as like a solution for this. And, and sometimes it's as a solution. Sometimes it's as a fetish. Sometimes it's as everything, you know, but it's, it's there. It's very present. Yeah. Within these, um, cause, cause
0: as an outsider, I've never been, I mean, I've spent some time in like um, M- MTF on Reddit and whatnot, but that's about the, the extent of my, uh, my exposure to the male to ma- male to female transition community. And um, as I understood it, that autogynophilia was outright denied as, as, as a, as a reality and just, just a transphobic trope by this transphobic Dr. Blanchard, you know, was how they, I thought that's how it was conceptualized that while at the same time they do openly acknowledge, you know, like, yes, I get an erection when I put on a skirt, you know, so I have to take care of that, you know, but like, they, they seemed from my, again, from my very shallow inundation to this, it seemed very much like, yeah, they would talk about there being an erotic component while at the same time kind of denying that autogynephilia is real. So you're saying that they actually use like that, that word autogynephilia or AGP is kind of openly spoken about as a real phenomenon or, or, or is that not used? And they're just kind of talking about, Oh, how do you manage being sexually aroused by this?
1: It's real. So, um, Within MT like like that R MTF circle thing or anything that like talks about like trans, like if trans is the identity kind of group, any group like that, like they will deny autogynophilia outright. But yep. they will talk about some of the same issues that men who know they have autogenophilia have. Like they will talk about how do you reduce the dysphoria, how do you reduce the erection that you get when you're like wearing a skirt, et cetera. They will talk about those things while not using the word autogynephilia, but there are spaces online that acknowledge autogynephilia that are aware that they have autogynephilia that are aware that this is just a fetish and that it's very complicated, et cetera, et cetera, but they will still push transition. Yeah.
2: Do you feel, do you feel like transition, do you feel like you benefited from it at all?
1: That's a very mixed bag. Um, I think I benefited from it because I wanted to. Um, But I don't know how to, um, you know, in some ways I benefited in others. I I really, really didn't. Um, The big thing with my, like the main reason I feel ambivalent about why I transitioned is because I transitioned under um, really shady circumstances. Um, I didn't, get screened before anything I just walked into an informed consent clinic and they gave me hormones I wasn't intending to do that I thought there would be some sort of process and there wasn't and I was kind of like okay I guess um but I mean like I at at around the same time I transitioned there was a lot going wrong in my life and the fact that I was going to transition was a huge motivation for me to jump over those hurdles and continue on with my life, even though I was dealing with, with a substantial amount of things. Um, I had run away from home. I mean, I was an adult, but I, I was still like a, like completely cut off from my parents for the first time. I had no real help from them. Um, I was working full-time and going to school full-time. I was... Um, living uh with a cult (laughs) with a left-wing cult in college um it was not trans related but it was a it was it was like a leftist sort of dorm room cult um and um I was in that toxic relationship I had mentioned um and I I was I was morbidly obese I had I, I had a lot of issues going on at the same time and just the fact that I was like so close to transitioning like once all that stuff started to like um fall on top of each other like my my ex broke up with me and I got excommunicated from that cult and I had to find a new place to live um I ended up graduating from college by some miracle like once all that started to pass and I started transitioning, like it gave me a new lease on life. And then I ended up moving in with my grandparents because they were willing to take me in and they saw the kind of horrible state that I was in. Um, and they encouraged me to like quit smoking weed and, and stop drinking and like start to exercise and take care of myself and, and everything like that. So I, I started to have a lot more of a supportive environment. And that, coincided with my transition so it's really hard to say how much transition helped me or not because it it came at the same time that a lot of good things were going on I think it helped I I want to say I think it helped um but I also kind of wish I never did it um so it's 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 iffy i'm in a very weird place with it right now where i like i want to detransition for my health and so that i can like raise a family as like a normal guy and and everything like that but i just it's very hard to see um that uh future for my for myself at at this point because it has been so long i i have dedicated like a third of my life to to all of this so it is it's gonna take some time and and I don't know you know I I don't know um how to um navigate personal relationships and stuff like that with regard to autogondephilia like part of me thinks it might just be easier if I just like end up with a guy who thinks or not who thinks but like who knows I'm a trans woman who understands what like all of this means and and everything and I can just like continue to live my life as as I have been without needing to like change back. But then there's also the health concerns and it's a very, I'm very much caught in the middle and I have been caught in the middle since, since I, since I found out about it. So um, I don't know, like it's helped me, but it's also, I think a lot of that was just like pure willpower.
2: One of the frustrations I have is is how few clinicians are, even have an awareness of, of, um, the typology and, and different kinds of gender dysphoria. Have you been able to find support?
1: Um, sort of, um, I had a therapist that I recently stopped seeing. Um, she was a gender therapist and I introduced the, I, I introduced her to the literature on aut- autogynephilia. Um, And I also like sort of opened her eyes to like, okay, there's kind of a mass child transition thing going on and it's not great. Um, And so I did some work with her, but because I knew more about it than she did, she wasn't really able to help me out very much. Um, So I've been looking, I've been looking, I sent, I sent an email to a, 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 a pretty experienced um sex therapist in Australia who I've heard good things about um but last I heard the waiting list was really long so I'm kind of I'm willing to wait if it means that I can sort of figure out how to how to get out of this
0: And this is all still relatively new to you right like you you kind of kind of the, the as we said the, the floor kind of uh, yeah, fell out from underneath you just this this past May. So we're talking like six months, right?
1: Yeah, um, it's it has been very new. Um, so but, but I, I haven't been doing like since COVID hit, I wasn't really doing much with my time anyway. So I just sort of obsessively consumed like all this material for like 10, 12, 14 hours a day. There were some days I just didn't sleep and I just kept reading about it because it was like, holy shit, holy shit, holy shit. Um, but um, yeah, it, it's new. It's definitely new. Um, and I've been I've been trying to explore my feelings about it, but I I'm also trying to like sort of fast forward through it because I know that the longer I'm on T blockers, the more likely I will end up sterile. So. I don't know um it's it's yeah it's it's recent so it's still kind of raw but I have I am also like because I am like autistically obsessive about things I I was able to like absorb a lot in a very short period of time and synthesize my own sort of experience of it
2: Aside from the, the supports that, that we as adults need, you know, I'm always aware of the kids that are following in our footsteps. Um, we've got a generation of kids now who are able to transition at a younger age than, than we could. Um, what do you think, you would want in place for um, this upcoming generation of of people that, that maybe, you know, boys that are going through something very similar to what you went through. What, what kinds of things would you want in place to, to better support them?
1: I have given this a lot of thought um, and I don't know. I really don't know. Um, I don't think it would be wise to have like, counselors talk about AGP with boys they think might be um, at risk of it I think talking about ROGD makes some sense but even then like because like these things are spread through social contagion I I 100% believe that AGP can be spread through social contagion I am kind of seeing that among certain groups of teens that are online which is why I get worried about like the whole abuse angle is just because like uh, there are a number of boys who have transitioned as soon as they turned 18 that I'm that I'm friends with that it seems that they were groomed online to do that um and I don't know if they would have done that themselves necessarily um so I, I don't really know I think I think the thing is I don't think that it's just about AGP I think it's it's also just like about how we live now in general like the internet I I do put a lot of the blame on the internet for why I ended up the way that I did um I don't think my gender dysphoria would have been nearly as bad if I wasn't aware that people could just transition um and I think about what's going to happen to the future generation a lot partially because this started affecting me when I was like early in my teens and partially because I don't know if I'm going to have kids. So I kind of want to do what I can to like protect the ones that people have already had. And because I'm, I'm, um, I'm, I'm in grad school to, to be a teacher right now. So like I I'm already interacting with some students who are identifying as trans and I don't really know, like, like I know legally what I'm allowed to do and it's kind of horrifying that I'm not allowed to talk about it at all but um it's also just like I I, I don't really know I I don't really know um I I wish there was I've gone back and forth on it a lot like should schools receive training and like understanding like the harms involved here should uh parents be talking to their kids more should etc like I just I just don't know Um, and there are, and it's related to a lot of things too. Like, I think, you know, it's not just about AGP. I think it's also just about porn addiction and and in general is affecting a lot of young people, including girls. I think there, I think there's a lot of like socially born, um, mental concerns that, I don't know, like I think this is bigger than just the trans issue, but I think the trans issue is where it's it's most visible because it's being pushed so hard,
2: yeah, I agree with you. a lot of a lot of layers have been added to the whole the whole thing because of internet and just the easy access to online porn and the hypnotic sissy porn I only just recently within the last year learned about,
1: yeah, and that was that was a big reason why I didn't think I was trans is because like a lot i no I'm sorry that was a big reason why i didn't think i was autogynophilic is because like a lot of spaces talking about autogynophilia that were like support groups and stuff kept bringing it up and there were like constant examples of it and like i was sort of radicalized to think i was trans on tumblr so i was sort of like i was coming at it from like a sort of warped feminist perspective about like how men were bad and everything like i I think that's why I was so dysphoric is because I like, rather than simply fetishizing being a woman, I was more so hating the fact that I was a man in the first place. Cause I saw it as a, as a. I I've described it on Twitter before as like a moral failure. Um, but like a lot of these guys and a lot of the younger um, trans, um boys are sort of coming up on this, sissy hypnoporn and like all kinds of weird fetishy stuff and it like it really took me aback I was like I don't think I'm an autogynophile then if, if this is what the experience is like but it turns out like you know it, it is more than just one thing you know
0: it almost seems like the the sissy hypnoporn it's like you were talking about grooming are those kind of working in conjunction there do you think it almost seems like the the like the sissy hypnoporn is like a means of instilling an autogynephilic fetish into somebody versus uh, an expression of it
1: i think it is i i I do think it is um and i think there are also there are some like instagram pages i've come across too just because it ends up in my feed and whatever of like crafting very esoteric arguments for why this is not simply a fetish and why they are real women and and etc and then I look at like the kinds of pages that follow it and almost all of them tend to be teenage boys um and and it turns this thing that could just be an erotic interest even like it's covered in erotic imagery so it is pornographic to a certain extent but like the text overlaid on top of them are just like these super philosophical arguments for like deconstructing gender and and blah, blah, blah. And I think that's also like a pipeline to transition is just because it's like a, like, it's a very low level sort of horny thing, but it seems intellectual because there's all this text overlaid on top of it and you start to like relate to it a lot and you think you're absorbing information when mostly you're just absorbing the erotic content. Um and it, when I like when I found out about that when I found out about this, no point. It does seem like it is grooming, and I don't think that everyone doing it is aware that they're grooming teenage boys to do it. I think they're just doing it for themselves, but don't realize that it's rippling out. But then there are also instances where, and I've seen this on on the DTrans subreddit. There was a a packaging for a vial of estrogen. Um that had like an anime girl on it that was trans and the side of it said caution estrogen keep out of reach of parents and i realized this is so there is a like there is like a pedophilia thing going on here too like they are grooming boys into this and i mean i've realized it even when i was just in the spaces where i was like can i like how do i detransition does anyone have experience with this and most of the comments were like, but you're so pretty, but you're only 23. Why would you want to detransition? And I was like, um, okay. Okay. I'll go somewhere else then. But yeah, no, it's, I think it, it is, I think it is a way of instilling it in people. And I, I can't think of a reason why other than, you know, the fact that they get off on, on the idea of doing that to other people.
0: Yeah, I don't want to, like, kind of um, like uh, I think there's a lot of talk about um, uh, uh, ascribing pedophilic intent to to uh, advocates of of transition um i and you you could have an entirely different um, uh, yeah perspective on this um, from what you know what you what you saw online and stuff, but it seems to me like so much of the intention seems to be to, to, to validate um, adult transition and to kind of neutralize transition to be not sexual. And therefore if children are doing it, that, 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 that nullifies any sexual component to it. You're, you don't think that that's, that's accurate from what you've seen or, or what is your take on that?
1: I think both are true at the same time. I think the the people that are trying to, to justify adult transition by saying, look at these kids that have dysphoria. Like, I don't think that all of them are pedophile. I think they are just doing it for their reasons. But I think that allows the pedophiles a way in, you know, like the, I think they're just, they gravitate towards that. Cause they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's transition them kind of thing. Um, there are, there are also, I also have to say, like, I don't think this is also just the purview of um, AGPs either. I, I've mentioned this a few times. There are people in um, the, the, the in, in an AGP support group that I'm in that is at least a little bit more <laughs> conservative about how it treats transition, um, where there are, there are men that I know that were transitioned as teenagers, but by bi- Um, trans support like by people that support trans people whatever some of them were social workers some of them were therapists and some of those social workers and therapists are known to have been sexual abusers and those abusers were women Um, so it's it's very like I think I think it's it's one big thing it's like a big tent of all kinds of different malicious manipulation and some of it is not necessarily pedophilic um and some of them really do think that they're trying to do the right thing and then a lot and then others are just like are abusers and are you know i don't know I, i think it's i think both are true
0: do you have you followed uh, the work of Angus Fox at all and his kind of research into uh, what I guess would best be described as as Rajdian
1: boys? I have not actually. I have never heard that name before.
0: Oh, okay yeah I, I recommend looking into into the work that he's doing um about uh the topic of of kind of kind of Lisa Lippman's work of of uh, rapid at gender dysphoria but uh, primarily from the uh the male to female uh perspective uh, or experience um a lot of it yeah being quite erotica influenced um, uh and, and uh, uh, yeah anyway
2: yeah he wrote a, a good article for um and uh he did an interview with benjamin boyce as well
0: yeah yeah and i did one uh on uh heter- he did a good good interview on hetero hetero dorks um uh and another one on um he was on gender—a wider lens as well. I'm not sure if Olympia, you're familiar with either other of those podcasts. You sound more of a more of a reader. I'm lazy and I like to listen, <laughs> but uh, yeah. Uh, so uh, I definitely recommend checking those out. Though yeah, the the work of Angus Fox is pretty uh, pretty enlightening in the in the the male to female um, arena. I'll
1: definitely check it out. I'm surprised I haven't heard of him, considering I've heard of all those before. So.
2: Um, okay, okay. I- I'll,
1: I'll look into it i'll look into it I- i'm very interested in like the rogd model generally because like when i was reading the lisa litman article like so much of it sounded like my experience but sort of reversed um and i was i was almost taken aback and a little bit offended when blanchard like responded by saying like rogd and boys isn't really a thing it's like it's just all autogynophilia and i think like I mean, it is autogynephilia, but I don't think that that's any reason to say that, like, they're not experiencing rapid onset gender dysphoria, you know, like, cause it's very clear, even just from his own research that autogynephilia can create gender dysphoria. So, you know, it, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. So I, I, I will definitely uh, check that out. Thank you for, thank you for letting me know about him. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Just, I'm curious about, um, just, you know, your day-to-day life and your relationships with, with friends and family, uh, have you been well-supported and and do they kind of understand some of the depth of what you're experiencing?
1: Um, I don't think they understand, but they know that I'm going through a lot and that I've been going through a lot for a while. Um, I think one of the things that transition actually did help with as much as i wish that weren't the case is my relationship with family um I sort of got welcomed back into the family very quickly after I transitioned after kind of a very uh, bitter break um so you know I, but I've I've talked about it with them I've talked about it with friends I'm very open about it in my in my personal life about like what this is like and um people are supportive Like, like people are generally very supportive Um, and, you know, they, I don't think they can understand unless they have it themselves. Um, But, you know, they, no one said like, this is a bad thing or that, that it changes their like perspective of who I am and whatever. And they just kind of want me to do the best thing I can for me, but no one really knows how to help me. Uh, which I think is fair enough because I don't know how to help myself, but um, yeah, no, I, I people are 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 supportive and and have been very. Um, they've listened to me rant about a lot of issues with like trend stuff and whatever, and most of them aren't even tuned into into that at all. So I feel kind of very uh, grateful for that, but it's not something that's on my mind a hundred percent of the time. Um, it comes and goes in waves because i do i tend to like get sucked into certain subjects like really hardcore for a few weeks at a time and it just so happens that trans stuff is one of those subjects so you know I, i'm yeah i have been supportive su- supported yeah
0: yeah it's interesting we uh we interviewed a couple episodes back um a Canadian detransitioner by the name of Michelle, who um, uh, also autistic, and uh, was basically describing how you know she has those bouts of, of uh, extreme obsession. Uh, I do as well. There's a lot of things that come up in this conversation that m- make me more and more realize I'm probably somewhere on the on the uh, ASD spectrum, but that's beside the point. But but um, she would was saying how um, uh, uh, she you know th- you know there just these these. Topics that she would get, you know, fascinated with and obsessive about, and gender happened to be one of those. And then, you know, many years later, after she transitioned, she realized, "Oh, I'm just bored of this now." This was one of those things that, you know, was like a, a, a facet of, of, of um, extreme obsession and interest uh, that kind of captivated her life for for a few years. And then it was like, you know, then then when she snapped out of that obsessive interest, it was like, "Okay, well now, here I am." Um, it with, with with the overlap with uh, ASD conditions and, um, uh, and transition. I, th- I wonder how much we're going to be seeing um, of that, that feeling.
1: I think it's, it, I think it's overwhelming, honestly. Um, I, I think the, the fact that I do go into these obsessive spirals, I think that that's what spurred this on in the first place. Um, Cause I mean, I had whatever like latent autogynophilia whatever. I don't think, I seriously don't think it would have been as bad if there wasn't this wealth of bullshit information that was just available, and all this like emotional pandering, and these like brain worms, and um, what do you call them? Cognito hazards that just like totally destroy every framework that you grew up learning. Like if I and and I am that kind of obsessive person, so this was something that I was like constantly going back to no matter what part of my life I was in and and usually like this sort of self-reflection that would lead me to hate myself was was during bouts where I was like already very upset over something and um and the only soothing that I got in this you know like I had mentioned this started when I was a child like the only soothing place I could go to at the time was like pretending I was a girl and my ex my my ex-girlfriend who you know guided me into this um, sort of we went into it together like we um like we both sort of inhabited this like um fantasy world together because she was also autistic so we set up this like fantasy world where like you know we would we would talk to each other in like baby voices to like make it real and whatnot and that was also like sort of a delusional state and, and whatever. And, and it it was complicated. It was very complicated. But, um, you know, she was like that too. And she also had, like I had mentioned, like she had a bout of about a year where she thought she was going to transition to be a man. Um, and one of the only reasons she didn't was because I was like, first of all, I'm not attracted to men because at the time I wasn't. And second like you don't have to change anything, you're fine the way that you are. And eventually she's let go of that. Um I but it, it, you know, I never went the other way around, you know. So yeah. Um, but I was also, I mean, I think part of it is also just that like even I think to some extent she had autoandrophilia. It seems like that might have been a, a factor at play. I can't really say for sure because we haven't talked in like two years or whatever. But um she also um like like I, I think women's sexuality especially with paraphilias is a lot more fluid than it is for men so I think she was able to snap herself out of it and like move on to other things and I wasn't and I and I think that's just based like like a bio, like a serious biological difference between the two of them and and this comes up in the AGP group that i'm in now sometimes too where we talk about the differences between the uh auto that present in women and the autosexualities that present in men and most of the time like women are able to desist from that and and men kind of aren't and and their um paraphilias are sort of much more ingrained and compulsive than than they would be for women and i don't know why that happens but but it seems like it does
2: yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely some evidence of more fluidity in, in female sexual orientation in general. you know, even the fact that so many FTMs once they transition their sexual orientation flips and maybe they had been always attracted to women and then suddenly they're attracted to men or, or in the opposite direction. And I don't hear that happening as much with um, MTFs.
1: I mean the flip definitely happened for me um it was very jarring I, I spent quite a lot of time like quite upset over it actually because like I, it, I had made it part of my identity as cringy as it sounds like I was a trans being for a bit um but part of why I felt ashamed about that at at a certain point was also because like the relationship I was in was like LARPing as a lesbian and like it was like sort of unspoken between the two of us that attraction to men was like a morally repugnant thing almost. (laughs) So I felt uh, like I couldn't really share that very much. Um, I don't know. Um, And also just like with friends in general, it felt strange to suddenly be like, Oh, well, I kind of want a boyfriend now, even though, you know, I, I don't know. Um, But that was, that was a very jarring thing. And I only realized it once, like guys started giving me attention um and that's that's how I knew it was like not the same as my attraction to women because my attraction to women is more like holistic um but with men it very much is related to how they perceive me um and I don't know how to like square that circle but it's but since that switch has happened like it's been very persistent like it hasn't gone away and and at certain points, it's been even like stronger than, than my, my base attraction to, to women. Um, and sometimes I'm even like reviled by, um, not reviled, but like I have a revulsion to um, women. And that's also been something very difficult to deal with. And I don't know how I would handle detransition with it because I have been thinking about like settling down with a man um, and instead because, I, like, I don't know, like, if I had a female partner, like, some part of me realizes, like, I would try to imitate her. Um, and that sort of happens subconsciously, because that happens subconsciously with every woman that I've been with. Um, and, yeah, I, I don't know that I would want to do that. Whereas with a man, I, just, I wouldn't have to do that at all. Um, so I, it's, it's a very complicated thing. Like, that's, that's sort of why I'm, like, you know, on the fence about, about all of this. Um, and I don't know what the future is going to bring. Um, but it has, that, that flip did happen for me and I have heard it happen to other, um, trans people. Um, one, one, one of the friends that I have that, that was, I don't think we're friends anymore, but like MTF, she also experienced this and but at the same time, she also realizes she's not actually attracted to men. Um, but doesn't know how to explain what is going on. And I tried to tell her and she was like, autogynephilia is fake. So... (laughs)
0: But it, what you're describing isn't that what we, what we you I think you refer to it as meta, or more commonly known as pseudo bisexuality, where your attraction to men is not about them; it's about it's about them validating you as a woman, correct?
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, so the, so I think that base attraction still remains the same, being yourself as a woman.
1: Yeah, um, but it's gotten more complicated over the past few months because like it's not just about that anymore like there is a level of physical attraction now that wasn't there before and I don't know how to explain and not only that but there's like serious romantic attraction too like that's sort of the main crux of it actually is 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 um it is, is like a romantic sort of attraction to men and it is it is still meta attraction, but it behaves as if it were like a normal sort of attraction, um, which is another reason why I, I sort of denied having autogynephilia or not denied, but like didn't want to believe I had autogynephilia because I was like, but it feels so real. And that's because, I mean, it sort of is, you know like Mm. it is but it isn't um and at least when it comes to my attraction to men it might be complicated but it's somehow a little less complicated than my attraction to women because part of my attraction to women like involves trying to imitate them
0: yeah i had a similar kind of similar experience that i had once i kind of uh came to understand what autogynephilia was i did kind of um uh uh, kind of, kind of tried to associate it with myself and just, it doesn't really apply because the whole, uh, you know, as I said, male and female sexualities are, are very different, but, um, but previous to transitioning, I always, you know, uh, when I would look at men, there was, there was a, it, the, the the intersection of envy and attraction, it was the same thing. And that was the same feeling. uh, Whereas, whereas um, women was just, they were just um, revolting to me uh, uh, sexually. And then once I transitioned that, that orientation shifted, Um, I no longer, well, I used to like, Pre-transition, I just always comp- I, didn't, I didn't compare myself to women as women normally do. Like I compared myself to men, and then so obviously my my physicality was always not lining up. Uh, but then post-transition, um, I no longer did that. I didn't. I, I, I was sex- much more sexually attracted to females than males. Um, and then when I found out about, about pseudo bisexuality, I was like, oh shit, is that what's going on uh, for me as well? But I realized my attraction to women. I, I'm I'm completely neutral in it. Um it's not um uh it, it really has nothing to do with me. It's it's entirely target oriented, I guess. Um which is probably the testosterone uh, more than my uh natal brain. But um anyway, it's just interesting to compare that uh yeah, the female and male transition experience there.
1: Yeah, I um what you said about like comparing yourself to uh other to to like men instead of women like I did that too in high school Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um I like I most of my friends were girls in high school and most of my friends are still girls now um and part of it is is also because my autism like I'm a highly sensitive person is what some of the literature calls it so like there are there are things that I talk about because I take in so much of my environment that only girls sort of understand how to talk about it, you know, but like guys don't cause uh, I don't know. Um, and that, that, that's been heightened since I transitioned. Um, I think estrogen does play sort of a role in that a little bit, but it's still not one-to-one, but, um, At any rate, like, I didn't really understand men's sexuality at all, and when I was comparing myself to other people, I really was not comparing myself to boys at all. I just wanted to distance myself from them entirely, Um, and I was more so comparing myself to other girls, and I think that's also why I developed anorexia a little bit, because like, when I was young, I was getting bullied by boys, and then when I got older, I was starting to get bullied by girls, and it's different, it's it's different, (laughs) you know? Um, and I was like, I genuinely was like comparing myself to girls. And I think that was also a big factor in in the dysphoria is Mm because I was like, why don't, why don't I look like them? Like, why can't I look like them? Like, what is going on? And that's also a big reason why I didn't think I had autogynephilia too, is because like, I didn't associate sexual feelings with that. You know, like there was envy and there was like a mix of envy and attraction, but i didn't associate any sort of sexual feelings with the thought of like looking like them necessarily i just thought that i looked mm-hmm. like an ugly girl kind of um and didn't understand why my figure wasn't coming in why wasn't i like growing breasts like what the hell was you know so even though like i knew i was male at that point um so yeah
2: so complicated Always, there's, there's always so many layers.
1: And and it is, you know, that's also why it's hard to say, like, did transition help me? Because like honestly, like to to that extent it did. And I was able to like wear clothes I was actually comfortable in. And I was also not a transvestic fetishist. So I didn't really like it wasn't arousing to me to put on women's clothes. I, the only times I ever did that sexually were because my partner wanted to do that with me. Um, wasn't something I I would do normally. Um, and like, you know, I, I don't know, like, but then for other autogynophiles, like it's a very big part of it. And, you know, like for, for a lot of them, like some, some people who end up transitioning are literally just like transvestic fetishists and they could have been fine if they just like, kept that in the bedroom but now because of trans ideology like they think that means something else but for me like the thought of being a woman was a much more metaphysical thing like it was much more like like I wanted the whole life of a woman and it wasn't relegated just to sexuality it wasn't relegated just to um stuff I would do in the bedroom like it really was like a whole like I wanted the whole experience, everything about it. Like even, even just the whole, like even just the bad stuff, even the trade-offs, everything. Like, because I sort of couldn't, I almost couldn't conceive of myself as male. And now that I know where that comes from, I have some solace in knowing I am actually male, but I still like, there's still this like totalizing desire that I'm not sure is ever going to go away
0: are you familiar with um, Blanchard's four types of autogynophilic uh, um, where it's uh, what behavioral anatomical physiological do you think, think that applies here? Or, yeah.
1: <laughs> I I think it, I, I think it does. I think there are some things that do and others, others that don't. Um, I, 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 it sort of was a progressive thing for me. Like it sort of, happened in chunks over time um and I think part of that was because there was this sort of like sexual influence involved with like um my ex and everything um not to blame everything on her obviously but it was it was there there was some some pressures there um I I I think it applies but I I also think um you know, people straddle the categories. I think, you know, there's... I, I also think there are a lot of different expressions of autogynephilia that aren't necessarily fully encapsulated by the, uh, the subtypes. I think that framework is helpful, but I also don't think that the conclusions that he comes to necessarily mean surgery and hormones are the best thing for people who have anatomic autogynephilia I had auto anatomic autogynephilia for a long time like that was the sexual aspect of it and it was quite jarring because I felt like completely disconnected from my own genitalia um and I had pondered you know surgery I thought and and at certain points like my therapists were like well why don't you you know sign yourself up for this like when when you try to do research about it and the reason I was so like not on board with it was because like first of all I knew it wasn't actually a vagina and second of all like it doesn't turn out well a lot of the time um so I kind of I was like not on board with that but I, I think one of the issues with Blanchard and and his whole take on it and I don't know about like how he how his patients have gone or anything I don't want to say that he's doing any sort of malpractice like that's definitely not what I'm saying but I think that some of the arguments that he makes on Twitter sometimes are like if you have the right subtype of autogynephilia then that necessitates that you alter your body but I don't think that that's necessarily true I think that's a much more like individuated thing and I think he would probably agree with me (laughs) on that but uh, I don't think that the subtype alone dictates whether surgery and hormones is a good idea for you.
0: I think he was also seeing, uh, you know, back, you know, 30, 40 years ago, he was seeing a different different uh, cohort, more extreme and, and what you probably refer to as like a, either either autogynophilia that's, that's, you know, progressed as it typically does, you know, you know, into, into, Middle age and and beyond, or or like the sex addicts you were referring to, so it's going to be more intense and pronounced in in those demographics than in in your case, which is probably more more along the lines of the 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 the, the younger you know Rajni cohort who who get more experience to this, you know, like have have little little you know uh, uh, you know it's less less intense innately, but it's just kind of magnified by the online culture that we're all. Uh, student now. So I think it is, and it's going to be different different presentations um, now versus then.
1: Yeah, I, I, I think so too. And I, yeah, I, I do think that as well. Um, I worry about what it's going to look like in the future for me and others like me. I don't know how it's going to progress from here. It kind of feels like it's stopped in its tracks almost for me, knowing. Like having a name for it and like knowing how to like control certain aspects of it now, um, but I like I don't know like I don't know how it's going to change. Like I'm not I don't have any sort of anatomic autogynephilia anymore, other than the parts that I actually have now. So, like that's you know I I have made my peace with the fact that I will never actually like get to experience the life of a woman. Um, And that's, like, fine with me, but, you know, I I don't know what will happen in the future. I don't know how things are going to change. I don't know how detransition would affect me, will affect me. I don't, you know, none of this, um, I don't know how it's going to, I also especially don't know how how it's going to affect people that, like, can't get away from online or are going to, like, live under lockdown for, like, with the COVID thing, like, that's what scares me not to you know, get too political about that, but like all the, all the lockdowns and I don't know how long that's going to last. And I think that it's going to have some very lasting impacts on people in general. I think we're going to see the emergence of a lot more extreme fetishes from people that didn't previously have them just because they've been cooped up for so long with only their laptop. It's very concerning.
0: Yeah, that is that is. On a brighter note, I did hear from the the um, I think it was during the Rajdi conference yesterday. I can't remember who um, said it, or maybe I'm even misplacing where this came from. Um, but uh, people have reported that a lot of the uh, the rapid onset gender dysphoric girls actually started desisting once removed from their like high school social groups and whatnot, and just kind of like you know out, out taken away from that social group that that may have uh, initiated that uh, that trans. Um, identification and so so I guess yeah it could could work in in different directions if it's more socially motivated in an immediate you know actual physical social peer group being removed from that you know could uh, uh, result in desisting or yeah like you're saying being cooped up with just um, you know online uh, social spheres and pornography and whatnot could uh, create whole new, whole new issues.
1: Yeah. Uh, I'm grateful that that, that, that that's working out though. The like removing from the social contagion group. I, I'm glad that it's as simple as that for some people. Cause that, that does actually give me some hope that this is going to blow over.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you so much for taking, taking time to talk to us about this. It's been uh, very illuminating. I think a lot of people will take, uh, we'll get a lot out of it.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm I'm grateful I was able to share my experience with you guys.
2: Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Transparency Podcast. If you enjoy our content, please help out our algorithm by hitting like or subscribe. If you'd like to make a donation, follow the link to our PayPal account. On behalf of the Gender Dysphoria Alliance, thanks for your support.